Welcome to the Conversations Podcast with Terry Law and Scott Law. I'm Scott Law, and I'll assure you that this is not your typical Christian podcast, just spouting that old-time religion. We're exploring the intersection of our life and faith in a way that's fresh and new. We'll be unpacking deep theological concepts in a very fun and relatable way. Together, my father and I have traveled to over 125 countries, endeavoring to be the hands and feet of Christ. We've also faced incredible personal trials and tragedy, and we held on to the grace of God through it all. So the purpose of our podcast is to share the love and grace of God with you and with those who've yet to hear. Again, welcome to the Conversations Podcast. Sit down, turn it up, and enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Scott Law again. I'm glad that we're back together again talking. I'm here with my father, Terry Law. Hi, Scott. And hi, everybody else. <laughs> We're sitting here in his study in South Tulsa, just reminiscing about uh, stories in our life and also talking about the current challenges that uh, we're all facing. So we started to talk about the Helmet of Hope on our last session, but we kind of got into thought life. We kind of veered into where our thoughts come from. Let's get into more of the, the helmet and how to protect and control those thoughts and respond to those thoughts. That sounds good. It's something that uh, is apropos at this point in, uh, in what we're doing. And I, I'm going to change my plan here a little bit. I've written a book called The Hope Habit. And I'd like to maybe read one page out of the book to get us started on this particular subject. And we're going to address directly the helmet of hope. Would you ride a motorcycle? without wearing a helmet. It's amazing how many riders do. Even though in crashes, there are three times more likely to suffer traumatic brain injuries if they survive without the helmet than helmeted riders. One Florida surgeon told my co-author, when our state law changed to allow riding without a helmet, my business actually went down rather than up. And he made a dry comment, dead people don't need surgery. Unlike Florida, the Bible has a helmet law. It's part of a larger provision, a suit of armor that God has given to every Christian as a means of defense. And since we are all under constrained and constant attack by the accuser, it's absolutely important that we find out what our weapons are. We have three offensive weapons. That is the word, the name, and the blood. But God has outfitted us with several pieces of defensive armor as well, including a belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the preparation of peace, a shield of faith, and here's the one that we're mentioning the helmet of salvation. You didn't mention the sword of the spirit. The sword, that's the last one. Right? <laughs> okay, okay. The sword of the spirit, which is God's word. But the helmet of the hope of salvation, it says in Thessalonians, uh, the helmet of the hope of salvation. There's something about hope that protects the mind. Just think about that for a few moments today. We, we talked a lot about the enemy and how the enemy attacks and I probably need to repeat a little bit of it. When Satan came to tempt Adam and Eve, he made Eve doubt what God had said. He just said, hath God said, he said to Eve. And uh, Eve fell for the trick, and 
sin was born in the human race. Judas betrayed Jesus because Satan gave him a thought to betray Christ. Ananias and Sapphira were killed by lying to the Holy Ghost. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? We mentioned at the close of our program last time that Jesus said to the disciples one day, whom do men say that I am? And uh, Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, Jesus says, wow, that's wonderful. He said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. You've just had a thought from God. Mm. Then five minutes later, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified in Jerusalem. Peter takes him aside, reprimands Jesus. He says, far be it from you to talk about things like this. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Bang. Get thee behind me. <laughs> in five minutes, Peter is listening to God on one side and the devil on the other side. Yeah, that's a great example that well, we're all subjected to. First Thessalonians 5, 8, Paul says, the hope of salvation, the, the helmet of the hope of salvation. And here's the key about a helmet. If you're going to have a helmet, you must put it on. A helmet will not defend you when you don't have it on. And that is true of the helmet of hope from Scripture. When we're quoting Scriptures and hope Scriptures over our lives, we are protecting our mind against all the garbage that's coming against us from television and all the diseases that we can get and all the financial collapse and everything else that's going on, you need protection. You need a helmet. But if you don't put it on, there's no way in the world that we're protected. And that's why it, it says in Scripture, it says, put on, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. You must choose to suit up if you're going to withstand the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan, you must choose to build up your hope. That's our message. It's been a consistent message. We've been saying it over and over again, but here we are with another shot at it, and uh, it's, it's still as true as it ever was. As you were talking, I had this, this memory come back to me of something that you would call the Fort Hope. Do you remember Fort Hope? No. 17 years ago, this month, you and I and Joel were driving on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan doing an aid distribution in an Afghan refugee camp. Remember that? Oh, I sure. We, we had a dozen trucks. Is it, uh, uh, is it that long? It's been 17 years, Dad. 17 years? 17 years. Seems like yesterday. And we had... We, we uh, thought we were dead that we day. We thought we were going to die that day. And the guys that we worked with in, uh, in Pakistan had thought they were doing something nice by putting banners on the side of the truck saying, World we, Compassion. What we were doing is bringing a lot of food to the refugees, the Afghan refugees who were suffering along the borders between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And the Lord had put that in our heart. And I think we had about nine trucks full. Well, I think we had 12. 12? 12 trucks. Full of food and uh, blankets. It was bitterly cold at night in the wintertime. Yeah. Boy, we, we came driving into this area. If you remember, Scott, we came in a little later than... Yeah, than the, the trucks group. had been sitting there. The, the drivers and trucks had t taken the stuff in, and someone, one of the truckers, without thinking 
at all put a big sign on the side of one of the trucks, World Compassion, America, USA, USA is sending this food to you. And that was just like saying, second to a dog. There were 90,000 refugees in that camp. Yep. And they started to come after our trucks with well, rocks. Well, when we drove up, refugees were looting the trucks. Remember that? Yes. There and were, the drivers were having to get out and chase them off. And people were ganging up against the drivers to distract them so that the others can go up and steal blankets. And say, We were going to give these things away. Mm. I remember, you know, wasn't it Lester Summerall told you that one of the hardest things to do in ministry is to give something away. To give something away. And boy, we, were, we realized that firsthand. And we had to make a split decision. What are we going to do? And there was a fortified and enclosed... Fort of Hope. That's where you got that, that name. You, you called that the Fort Hope. Fort it, Hope. It was like an old John Wayne movie. It was at the very end of the road on the other side of the camp. You had to drive through the camp to get there. And it had huge gates. The gates were probably, what, eight, ten feet tall? I think about nine. Nine, nine feet nine tall? Feet, okay. Yeah. And we had to drive flying out there. Now, thankfully, we had hired some militia or excuse me, no, off-duty off policemen to come in. And I had one in my car, and we had all separated into different vehicles. And well, I had one. You had one in your car. Well. Yeah, they had AK-47s. And we came running, we came flying in there, but there were refugees on either side of the road throwing rocks at us. Yeah, and they, they took out six of our windshields. Six windshields got knocked out. This was serious stuff. And then I remember. They wanted us. They, they did. They were coming over the wall. I heard gunshots. I was by myself in there the driver was still in the truck we were stuck in the car we'd just gotten in in into fort hope <laughs> mm-hmm. and the 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 young man next to me was the off-duty policeman he probably he maybe 19 right mm-hmm. and he was scared because the you could hear the pelting of the rocks and yep. the stones and the windshields and the, our back window got knocked out and glass was shattered all over us and i was ducked down with my head between my knees and Finally, I'm like, what do you do when you got a gun? So I started yelling at him. I pushed him out the door, and he started firing over their heads. He, he didn't, wasn't firing to kill anyone, but he was firing to scare them um, down. And it scared them off the wall. And it scared them off the wall, thank God. It saved our lives. But, uh, but after that, the, the rocks still were coming, and they separated all of us, all of the Americans, mm-hmm. and they put us all into our own rooms. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yep. And we found out later they did that. So it would take, if anybody breaks in, it would take them longer and longer to get us that we weren't all bunched in one room. Right. Thankfully, I believe the Holy Spirit had spoken to me before this trip and said, we need to get a satellite phone. I remember we came in there and the head of the, uh, the UN camp, UN, it was a UN camp. And uh, the UN director was controlling the camp. And uh, he, he said he had a phone number where we could reach police about probably 20 miles away. But he said, "I don't. We don't have a satellite phone. We don't have." And I looked at you, and I remember. I got a phone. Hoping and saying, "An original phone." Talk about hope. hope. Talk about hope. Dang. I looked at you, and I said, "Scott, I hope you got <laughs> our cell phone, and I hope it's charged up." Satellite of hope. Yes, yes, a Thuraya phone, and we're able to call the militia. Uh. It took them like uh, thirty minutes to an hour to get there. Mm. I remember they separated us, and they had one guard with each American in different rooms. And I remember going in there and I was sitting next to the young man who was in the car with me and we really couldn't speak much to each other because he spoke Urdu and I, I didn't. But we were sitting there and I remember the thoughts started 
Mm. And naturally, my five senses had just been through a hysterical moment, mm-hmm. right? Guns, AK-47, rocks, explosions, people running at us with, with bloodlust in their eyes. And my life started flashing before me. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die. I did. And I had visions of, I saw my wife, I saw our wedding day, and ironically, this was right after our one-year anniversary. Mm. So I, I was pretty much a newlywed, and I thought I was going to die, and I uh, remember and the thoughts. I remember something else. It's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, I, I remember when we got back to the... Uh, after this event. Back to Quetta, back to the city in, in Pakistan, and we, we kind of came together for supper to download... You came to the table with a, a quite a chastened look on your face, and uh, Joel and I were talking. And I, you know, Joel said, uh, "Did you phone anybody and talk to anybody?" I said, "No." And then he looked at Scott and he says, "Have you phoned anybody and talked to him and tell him what you said?" He said, "Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I talked to Kathy," and he said, "Yeah, what'd she say?" I said, "I, I told her everything that happened." He said, "Oh." Rookie mistake. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't you guys tell me? No, here I was young. I was newly married. And then she got mad at me. Oh, man, she was mad because you flew out the next day to go to preach somewhere. Yeah. And Joel and I were left behind, and she was so mad. It took her a while. It took her a while to get over that. It did. But, okay, put me back in that moment, okay? In that mm-hmm. moment when we were there, when we finally were able to come out of the rooms and that's when the UN guy showed up and we had that, that phone. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking all of these horrible, cause at any time they could have come in cause in UN refugee camps, most of you don't know this, but they don't allow any weapons. So the guards and the people that are actually guarding and in charge of the camp, they have no weapons. Mm. So if there are stampedes, if mm. there are people rushing for whatever, there's no do, one. Do you remember, Scott? It was about four hours. We were sitting in the sun in that courtyard, oh, in the in the fort, Fort Hope, so you hot. call it. And uh, we thought I was full of daring do, and I said, "Come on, let's take a shot at getting out of here." Yeah. So we lined our vehicles, all eleven or however many yeah. there were, yeah. lined them up, bumper to bumper. They threw the doors open, and we tore out through the doors. And all I heard was a huge crash, the windows smashing everywhere, and everybody started backing up. <laughs> we, we couldn't get out. Wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? We were, we were waiting. We had to wait. And finally, when the army came in, they came in with tanks. They came in with trucks. It was something to watch. I mean, we came out of that fort, and we're looking at people. They're sitting on the ground on their haunches. They had a way of doing that. I, I can't even do that. But they were holding rocks and looking at us. And we're saying to ourselves, God, thank you. Uh, You have saved our lives today. And we are very grateful for your kindness. (laughs) For your kindness uh, and mercy, you know, and and protecting us. The thought life we talked about last last, uh, session, thought life, the thoughts that were coming to me from the enemy and from my senses Mm. of death, right? And then the thought where Seemingly out of nowhere, we have this phone, and we were able to phone in through the army, and and it was a sign of hope. It was like in the Wild West when the cavalry came. Yeah, it was the cavalry blowing a trumpet. Yep. Here comes the cavalry, yep. and John Wayne gets out of a danger. Yep, 
Yeah, it's exactly. You kept saying, you know, this is Fort Hope and this is John Wayne. This is our last stand. I'm like, Dad, this can't be our last stand. I got to get home and see my wife. You know, this is crazy. But, you know, it was really interesting, Dad. And we were hanging on to hope because we didn't really have anything else to hang on. Oh, right. You know, there were several thousand people outside of this tiny one foot wall thickness, eight feet high, and they could have killed us. And I remember getting out of camp. We were driving on the road the sun was starting to go down and it was a time for a call to prayer and Khalid was my driver little tiny driver Mm -hmm. Um, he was Pashtun Mm -hmm. and I remember he got out pulled out you know he said uh, one minute one minute we pulled over and he got his rug out and he kneeled down and he and he prayed prayed toward Mecca and, and and to make sure he gets his prayers in so we had this Muslim driver who is devout and he was a part of saving us. Do you remember when he ran out of our car? Do you remember that? A looter had, had grabbed the stuff and was taken off. And he was so angry. He was maybe 5'1", five 5'2", five mm-hmm. and maybe weighed 110 pounds. He and all he had on were flip-flops and mm-hmm. the Charwell Kamis. He took a, out across this guy who had grabbed a, a blanket and he was on a bike. And he took off like a linebacker from the NFL. And he tackled the guy and, and knocked him right off the bike and started pummeling him bloody the guy's face the guy ran away left his bike and our driver Khalid took the took the blanket and brought it back for us and here was is a devout Muslim man protecting us how much time do we, we got have? we got five we got, we got five, five seven minutes yeah. I want to tell another story go ahead go ahead one day right during that time we're talking 17 years ago now yeah when this happened folks if you want an interesting program you tune into this because we have about died a million times <laughs> in a million parts of the world, and we've got stories to tell forever and ever. But uh, I remember I was driving across the desert in Afghanistan with a wild-looking driver. He was driving fast. I didn't know why he was driving so fast. We were in a car that he had taken from the Taliban in the Battle of Kandahar. I said, how many people have you killed? Haji, I called him. And he said, uh, oh, I don't know how many. I said, 50? Oh, more than that, he said. And I'm looking at him, and I'm sharing my faith with him briefly. Yeah. Finally, he turns to me, and he says, you know, I like you as a Muslim. I like you Christians. He says, Hindus, they got 500,000 300,000 gods. They got lots of gods. But he said, Christians, Muslims, we both have one God. It's the same God. And Scott, I sat in that car and I said to myself, I can't let that stand. Yeah. I've got to contest that. But there's three guys in the back seat with AK-47 machine guns. <laughs> if I open my mouth and say what I feel that God would want me to say, I could be in big trouble. And you can, and you can keep quiet. And- but, right. But I'm sitting there and I'm saying, no, i got to talk. So I turned to Haji. I said, no, we don't have the same God. He slammed the brakes on. And I thought, oh, no, here goes. He says, what do you mean? I said, my God has a son. His name is Jesus Christ. How about your God? And he saw it. Clear as a bell. He had a God, but his God did not have a son. Of course, we as Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, Muslims, by and large, although Jesus is one of their prophets, they will say he just swooned. In, in the tomb, he did not die, physically die. Jesus died, came back, and I, I had some literature in my pocket called 
the story of Jesus, a little salvation booklet that we'd created with the David C. Cook Company. And I pulled it out of my pocket and I gave it to uh, Haji and he stopped the car altogether and he got out and climbed in the back seat and one of his machine gun carriers took the car from there on. But we went out to their hole in the desert. I can't even describe this to you. And we gave food to people who didn't think they were going to have food. They were dying, some of them. But God put it on our hearts, and God gave us an opportunity. Mm. And that's the day, Scott, that hope reigned eternal for us. And hope brought us to this day. We're alive today and able to tell the story because of the goodness of God's hope. That's a great story. Those are great stories. I think keeping in that same vein of how you shared your faith with Haji. And I remember meeting Haji in the Serena Hotel in Quetta when I was there. Big beard, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Usually wore white. Let's say you're listening to us today and you don't know Jesus. You don't know that you're saved. Dad, why don't you why don't you lead us in a, in a word of prayer and, and uh, lead some people to the Lord today? If you, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, all you have to do is invite him to come in. And that's the prayer that I will lead you in now as I pray. I ask you to repeat after me and believe as you ask God to come and live inside of your heart that Jesus comes to be your personal Savior. Let's pray together, everyone. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity right now to talk about your goodness and your presence and There are several people listening to us right now and they're making decisions in their heart to follow God. And I pray that your blessing will be their Holy Spirit. Bring the conviction, your Holy Spirit conviction into hearts that are listening and who are longing for peace and longing to know God in a personal way. And we declare that Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. And right now, we stop in this moment and literally open the doors of our heart and say, come, live inside of us. Be our Lord and Savior. We want to serve you the rest of our lives. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for touching the lives of people who are praying with us right now. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Dad. Thanks for leading us in that prayer. God, we we thank you so much for our time today. Uh, Bless those that are here. Help them as they're uh, trying to do life and struggling. Gift them with hope today. Grace and peace on you all. And we look forward to talking with you guys again soon. Take care. Thank you for listening today to the Conversations Podcast with Terry Law and Scott Law. We hope you enjoyed it. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Terry Law Speaks. Go to TerryLawSpeaks.com if you'd like to book Terry to speak at your church or special event. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and many of the other major podcast platforms. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time as we continue to share the love and grace of God with you and with those who've yet to hear.